0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders. To help you raise the bar on your own excellence. To release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Cinevision Leadership Foundation. We offer resources for nonprofit leaders who have a vision and want to achieve that vision. Today, we're talking about the roadmap. You've got it in your head. How do you define it so other people know how to participate, support, acknowledge, and affirm the journey? So I have a special guest today who has a brilliance that we all need to know about Uh, Carol Hamilton, tell people a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background. And then we'll get into the topic of strategy today. So Carol, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange.
1: Thank you, Hugh. Thanks for having me on. Um, As you said, my name is Carol Hamilton, uh, Grace Social Sector Consulting. Um, I'm also host of a a podcast, Mission Impact, Uh, Hugh was on there a couple episodes ago. So thank you for this. And um, I love doing strategy. I know that's not what everybody loves, but um, my strengths finder lines up with that. So all my uh, top strengths uh, line up in that that strategy side of things. And I just think it's so important for organizations to really get clear about where they're going um, and where they're going together. Uh, As you said, one person can have a vision but how are you collaborating and co-creating uh, the the road to get there?
0: So let's talk about um, this thing called strategic planning. It's kind of a it's kind of a stuffy sounding title, and it sounds restrictive. But you and I talked a little before we went live about it being just the opposite. So talk for a minute about the importance of having a written strategic plan.
1: Yeah, I think there are lots of reasons why it's important, and it's and the end product um, is is a written document, hopefully one uh, that's really a living document. Um, literally now, uh, could be in a in a Google Doc that everyone has access to and ultimately can can edit. But if you have if you don't go through the process every couple years of stepping back and really having conversations about what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? And how are we doing it together? And what do we need to focus on now, uh, given where we are, um, to get closer to the vision we're trying to enact? Um, There just ends up being a lot of static in the system of an organization, people kind of pulling in different directions, uh, interpreting things in different ways. Um, And so instead of everyone kind of, if you have the image of the the folks in a in a in a boat, everybody rowing together. You're you're kind of moving in different directions, and it and it's. There's so nonprofits are so leanly resourced that, not having that complete resource of your people all moving in the same uh, general direction can is, is a real detriment.
0: So there's some some myths that we've inherited. Or maybe we make up ourselves about, oh, I don't have time to do this because there's important work. And, oh, it's going to limit my creativity. Or, oh, i just going to give some answers and have the, a consultant write it for me. So do you have answers to those, what I define as myths?
1: So, yeah, limiting your creativity. I think... Um there's always going to be things that pop up i think the other thing that that folks are afraid of is you know we 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 live in such um the complex and fluctuating times uh, certainly the last couple of years have uh shown us how you know the world the universe can just throw us a curveball every once in a while um and we have to we have to reevaluate but if you don't have a shared understanding of how you're moving together as a group, uh, nonprofits, aren't just one person. They're, they're groups of people working together towards a goal. And if you don't have a shared understanding of that, of those goals and of where you want to, how you want to get there and, and what the ultimate vision is, you're, you're just, you're just wasting a lot of energy. And then, but I do think that there's, um, I, when I'm working with groups, I also, in addition to a plan, I have them create what's known as a strategy screen, and that's not something that I created. La Piana Consulting uh, were the ones who originally uh, originated that idea, but it it that again um, creates a, a a co-created document where you're agreeing across what are the things that we're going to use to evaluate some new idea that someone has through their creativity, or um, when something dramatic happens from the outside that you, or a new opportunity pops up, all of those things, how can you evaluate it with a common set of criteria to make a good, informed, deliberate decision?
0: That is a very good summary of why. Um, I think probably people see it as, oh, this is really hard work. So it's really important to have somebody like Carol um, guide them through the process because, you know, there's a nurture part of this. And we're a leader. We have certain, you talked about skills before we, uh, strengths. I, we, at Center Vision, we talk about skills and gaps, but that you have a certain skill set, a certain strength. That doesn't mean you do everything. It's So, so you, you continue to refer to group interaction. So I have found in 34 years of doing this that without exception, planning session with the board and the leader around the common vision is a team engagement. And so the, the process of actually doing it together develops the buy-in. You want to talk more about how you work with groups and why that's important?
1: Yeah, and I would push it a little bit further that it's not necessarily just the staff leader and the board. That um, for to really have that ownership um, beyond just buy-in or, or kind of, yeah, sure, we think this might be a good idea, um, is to really think about how you're integrating um all your key stakeholders especially uh the, the having the staff be part of those conversations and it's about constructing so i see my job uh, i know you're you're a conductor in the past and so i i see my job as the facilitator is kind of setting up the parameters and and uh setting up the guideposts for helping the group have a constructive conversation um so that that comes with you know What information are we sharing at the beginning to ground everyone's understanding? Typically, I'll start a process by talking to everybody, either one-on-one in focus groups, interviews, and then synthesizing all that information so that everybody in the group starts with a a foundation for a common kind of snapshot of where are you as an organization. And then at each point through the process, setting up kind of mini conversations that build on each other so that folks can think wider, look look at the bigger environment that they're part of, um, vision, imagine, get creative, but then hone in on, okay, let's also balance that creativity and that vision and that imagination with what's our capacity, what's realistic, you know, so you're kind of going between those different poles and not being on one end or the other, trying to find that kind of Goldilocks spot in between.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And at one point in my life, I also owned a camera store and photo lab. And when my, my one hour lab was down, I was basically out of business. So you call a repairman, they came 15 minutes, they had to fix it up running, I got a big bill. And I said, Well, wow, that's a big bill. You only were here 15 minutes, you only replaced one part. He said, yes, but I knew which part to replace. So having an outside person like Carol, who's experienced, you know, which pieces are important, what questions to ask. And really, you bring an outsider view, we get so, so blinded being inside, we can't see a lot of things. So the value of having a, an external facilitator, that's neutral. Um, So talk about the, the people who want you to write their plan for them. Is that a good idea?
1: And I've seen that I just saw this actually recently in an RFP um, and and it's explicitly says the staff will not be involved in writing the plan for the organization. I'm like, well, then why bother doing the process? Don't pay me the the twenty thousand dollars that it says in the RFP. they're willing to pay for a process where the end product folks don't feel like they own it. So I certainly am there to guide and to support and to counsel. All those things to help them. I think one of the, the another important things that that a, a, a f- outside facilitator can really help the group with is to help them make decisions and discern and focus, because uh, I think that's one of the things that people really fear out of a strategic planning process is that they're going to kind of end up with these. You know, they, they remember that retreat where they left the, the retreat with those long page after page of newsprint of ideas jotted down but nobody other ever kind of decided okay these are the most important um so ultimately the plan has to be the organization's it's the organization's plan it's not my plan uh and they need to really have their hands on it all the way through to to have that feeling of of ownership
0: and the same leaders to complain about my board is not engaged to the ones that want to write the plan or have it written and give it to them, which they're right I'd say they're cutting them off the knees. There's no buy-in in that process
1: right. the board is not engaged. The staff is not engaged. And then, um you know, i've've yeah, I've worked for folks who said, well, go get buy-in for this. That's not how it works. You get buy-in by involving people in the process, not by manipulating them into, you know, doing whatever you want. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are many organizations that, that that you know run that way and probably aren't as effective as, as they could be. But from my point of view, um, the whole point, that's why so many people talk about the fact that the conversations that people have through the process uh, can be as important as the end product. And it's because you're building that buy-in, you're building that ownership by them being engaged. And I've seen boards become more engaged and staff become more engaged through a process like this, where they're really getting to talk about the tough things that the organization needs to grapple with.
0: Amen. amen. And, and 34 years, I, I do the same work and you and I, there's probably more work than a hundred of us could do out there because every nonprofit needs a strategy and they need to revise it every every so many months, depending on how much is happening, it's three, six, nine months anyway. And you don't throw away the, old and start over. You just, you know, you want to adapt, and like you pointed out, times change. We got to go back and look at what we've done, and not throw out the. What's the old expression? The baby in the bathwater. Right. So As you're talking about the uh, the people participating, the motto comes to my mind: the planners and the doers are the same. Do you do you agree to that?
1: I mean, I think they both bring a different perspective. So, um, the board ultimately is depending on the the stage of the development of the organization, um, you know, if they're an all volunteer group, then yes, the the planners and the doers are going to be the same people. For many organizations that have been around for a while and have more of a differentiation between the board and staff, they're not going to be the same people. But having all those people in the conversation makes all of it more, more doable and realistic and more likely to get done uh, than just sitting on the shelf, which is, you know, the, the tragedy of too many uh, strategic planning processes.
0: Oh, yeah. I want to talk about that. But before we go to go on the shelf thing, you, you you talked about including other people, which is absolutely essential. You know, in companies, when I work with companies, the person that empties the trash or answers the phone, knows things nobody else knows. And so we tend to undervalue people. Oh, they're not very important. Wait a minute. They might add value. But it also occurs to me, you've got staff, you've got other stakeholders, you got board, maybe some advisors, maybe a donor or two. But you've got this this um, diversity of perspectives, which can enrich in the whole thing, but it really helps enlighten people and engage people. I have had leaders saying, oh, they won't step up and do anything at the end of a planning session. Everybody in the room had their name on an action plan. So so specifically, what I was leading to is it's a good chance that we sometimes are not clear our roles and responsibilities. You know, the board has very clear governance and financial oversight. They don't run the day to a staff, the other leaders. So it's a good time to, you know, define with those, those outcomes and those, those goals, it's a good time to define roles and responsibilities. So talk about that a little bit and how that shapes through that whole planning process.
1: Yeah, at the end, I mean, I think another um, kind of pitfall that people can fall into is trying, and this is where it starts feeling really stifling uh, planning, where they try to nail down everything, and they're trying to nail down everything for three years from now, and it's completely unrealistic. So um, once a once a plan is done, and I, I when I'm working with groups, it tends to be pretty high level, you know, three no more than 5 i literally won't let them have more than 5 goals you know action steps that go with those goals and then defining what success looks like so you know you could say and and your action steps have verbs you know that, that there's action in them um but also having the group define what a, what is it going to look like when when we've made progress sometimes that's metrics sometimes that isn't um sometimes it's we get the thing done um so that I see is the plan. And then that next step is, okay, year one or, you know, next six months, whatever time frame, shorter time frame that you want to want to decide on, um, how are we actually operationalizing this? How are we implementing? That's when it's like, you know, and Susie's going to do X and this committee is going to be responsible for Y and we're going to get this done by, you know, quarter one. And we're not going to try to tackle all of it in that for six months. What are we focusing on first?
0: Yes, we, and going back to what you said earlier, we leave this, quote, retreat with this whole long list of to-dos, and sometimes it's overwhelming. Very overwhelming. Yeah, what you just identified was how do we we sequence these and put them in phases, which then people can breathe a sigh of relief. This is what we're going to do the first month, and it's probably a lot lighter lifting than what happens 12 months from down the road or 6 months down the road so i think i think giving people a sense of they can do it and they can do it in a time frame that you know you've highlighted some very key things and these are really pitfalls so back to one you you highlighted just a few minutes ago you you and I have both been called in for a consultation about a strategic planning retreat. And they say, "Oh, we got an old plan, and they pull it off the shelf and dust it off. It's time for a new one. so how do we how do we prevent that?
1: Well, I think it it is that first thing that we just talked about. Well, you have those high level goals. It's a living document, And then you have that year one or you know, first six months implementation plan. But with that, you have a process for reevaluating, assessing progress, and asking some key questions. And you you agree, we're going to come back to this in six months, or we're going to, you know, we do a quarterly check-in, and we're going to look at it then and see where we are. And then we may make some tweaks. We may, you know, after a year, we may decide that something isn't as relevant anymore. Um, And we may say, okay, we finished that piece. So they're, you know, looking at what have you finished, what's still, making sure everything's still relevant, um, and then, you know, what do we need, need to adjust? What are new realities that we need to incorporate?
0: Yes. So there's, um, there's a, there's a fear factor, and, you know, thinking about, um, I studied with conductor, teacher of conductors, and talked about being vulnerable. Burdane Brown writes about being vulnerable. Sometimes leaders don't want to write down their goals because they're afraid of failure. And even though they don't articulate, that's under the surface. So how do we address that? And I think it comes in the realm of accountability as a positive thing where if you put it out there, people know how to support you. So talk about the vulnerability and the value of actually clearly defining those those goals and objectives and action plans.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I haven't hadn't thought about that necessarily before, but I do I do think you're naming an important piece and it and it maybe it's it's where people have kind of objected of oh that that nails down my creativity or you know I feel stifled by it, but what they're really fearing is that accountability. But then I would balance that with um you know, what is failure? Uh you may get a year down the line, look at a goal and say, Well, we tried this and it didn't work. So we need to try something new. I have a personal plan that one of, you know, a, a three-year vision. So I, I, you know, as a consultant, I have to say, Well, am I am I doing the same thing that I asked my clients to do? So I I did this a a, a little while ago. And I was looking at it at year end and and looking at one of the big goals and thinking, I mean, and this is at the personal level for my own business, but is that something I still really want? Is that really the vision that I want? Or is that just something that I'm thinking I should do because that's what businesses are supposed to do? So just because you wrote it down a year and a half ago, does not mean that it's going to be relevant or the same thing that you all agreed needs to move things forward now? Um, And... uh, if something is a failure, if something doesn't work, have you created the space in your organization and the, the safety, the psychological safety, for people to have that conversation, own up to it, and learn from it?
0: Ah, yes. Words of wisdom. Our guest on the Nonprofit Exchange, if you're just coming by on watching it, it's uh, Carol Hoffman. We're talking about um, the pitfalls of strategic planning. So um Carol Hamilton like the musical. Hamilton liked the musical. That's it. <laughs> Did I say Hamilton? Yeah. So um the, the common mistakes or pitfalls that get in the way of the process itself. Now a lot of people try to do it themselves, which I think is very difficult. I do this for a living. I have a for-profit and a nonprofit, and I have other people from ref- like my board for the nonprofit do the strategy with me because I'm too close to it. And so I think it's a mistake to try to do our own. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll have someone on your board who's, you know, maybe they're a strategic planning consultant, or maybe they've done it in their organization in the past. And so they volunteer to lead the process. And obviously, that's an affordable way to do it. But it means that that person, you've lost their perspective. Because when they are leading it, they have to pay attention to the process. What's the conversation? have we heard from all the voices around the table? Who haven't we heard from? They're paying attention to all that and they're really not able to bring their perspective. And so you're losing that perspective a, of an important person um, in, in your group. Um, and I think it's harder. Uh, and if the, the executive director wants to lead the process again, you can't be a facilitator and a participant at the same time. And so it, it takes them out of the participatory role. Um, so that's, I think where w- one of the values of bringing someone in from the outside. And, um, you know, when we do that beginning process of talking to everybody, folks may be more willing to tell me things and I'm able to then share back feedback and hold up a mirror, of uh, t- that with maybe some uncomfortable, um, Realities that are within the organization that might be avoided if you just did it all yourself, did
0: a DIY. And still, there are blind spots. We all have. And if we all have blind spots, that's right. And we're too inside, we're going to multiply those blind spots. Um, so I think part of the transparency and in, in vulnerability is bringing somebody in from outside um, to actually, and, and we're not, it's not a weakness in leadership at all, it's a strength of leadership. Because we hold the vision and we lead organization. And really bringing in somebody with a specific expertise shows a lot of wisdom in leadership. Now, you talked earlier about things shifting. One of the things that shifted dramatically uh, in the last few years is uh, we work more virtually. And I don't know about you, but a lot of meetings, most of the meetings I'm on, people are in different continents even so we have virtual teams how does strategic planning work work virtually and is it valid working virtually
1: oh 100% i mean obviously with the pandemic i had pro- um, projects that were ongoing and had to flip to virtual immediately and the i over having done now many many um using virtual using a virtual um facilitation i really see a lot of benefits to it um For one, uh, the traditional model was the day long or the day and a half retreat. And certainly for most nonprofits, it's probably a day. And by the time you're actually asking the group to make decisions, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and they're fried. They've been thinking hard all day. They're wiped out. They've hit cognitive load. And they can't make decisions. And so, so that's one of the reasons you come back with to the office with a kitchen sink of a million flip chart pages of too many ideas that you can't do. Um, so one of the things that I've seen be really valuable is actually chunking out the process. So you're doing it two hours at a time, three hours at a time. Um, one to just not have people, you know, experience that Zoom fatigue, but it also with that time in between um it gives people some time to think okay so the first session we're we're looking at all the data that's been collected and what people are saying about the organization we're going to have a conversation about that and then i come to the next one i've had a couple weeks to kind of think about well you know where are we and i've had more time to to really integrate that information then i come back and i now that i'm chunking them out i do I, I joke that I do like a, a previously on this strategic planning process. So you have a little bit like, you know, on last episode, we we did this so that people are, are kind of regrounded in the process. But it really enables people to um, take, be a little more deliberate and take a little more, it, it, it takes the same amount of meeting time, but you're just doing it over a, a slightly longer period. And so there's more time for thought and, um, and time for gr- smaller groups let's say you have a big group session and then you you get together with a smaller group to do some synthesis so you you're able to kind of be a little more flexible where in a retreat you would have had to run out and the everybody else is getting their afternoon snack and you're trying to scramble to synthesize the next thing for the next piece so it 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 makes it a lo- it there's just a lot of benefits
0: i've found exactly the same thing and you know it's still relationship building Absolutely. And the, the breakouts you can do on zoom are absolutely priceless. And then, like you said, you do one section of it, you got a chance to think about it before you go on to the next one. So lots, lots and lots of really good value there. So it, and it, it's really not either, or there's ways to do some exactly. Some of each. Absolutely. So let's go back to something you referred to earlier. Um, sometimes we get really hard nosed about this, especially type A personalities like yours truly. We said it, we got to do it. It's hard. It's written down. So it's unyielding. We said, we're going to do it. Well, take a look. It's not working. So I think somewhere in, in, in conflict work, there's, there's the renegotiation model where you do the role renegotiation. Okay. What we, what we thought was going to work doesn't work. So let's come back and renegotiate. So it's sort of the same kind of thing here. What And you said, what did we learn? And you don't have to wait till something fails. right? I can can tell I'm rehearsing a piece of music I thought fit, and it's not going to (laughs) work. So at some point you say, come on, let's do something that'll be more fun or work. So there's a pivot point. So what advice do you have for people when it becomes evident that we didn't think this through or things have changed? It's a no fault kind of process. So how do you determine when to do that? And how do you negotiate that?
1: Well that's the the reevaluation process that I think needs to be part really the extension and um the continuation of your strategic thinking discipline really where you you've got these goals that you've agreed on, you've got the action steps, success, how you're defining success and and in in a way, it's always a draft even though, you know, you, you, the vo- the board voted on it, and we stamped it, and we said, you know, from 2022 to 2025, this is what we're doing. But making sure that you have that a uh, regular process for reevaluation, and I think it's going to depend on the organization exactly what cadence that is and who's involved. Um, it may be something for a staff. It may be at every monthly staff meeting. It may be quarterly. Uh, maybe every 6 months certainly no less than once a year
0: for sure so defining what makes success i mean you mentioned that earlier too and many times groups don't even get to that There's no a, no The next step
1: yeah i i uh, i i do really um insist that the groups that I work with uh, think about those too and define those as well, because in some times it's even clearer once they define those success indicators of what they're what they're aiming to do. They they it it really kind of if you talked about being um, doing photography, it's like that sharpening and really focusing in, um, having people have agreement about. What does done look like? And in nonprofits, we're rarely done, right? But what's what's that? What's what's going to be different because of the work we've
0: done? That is what's going to attract the funding. That's the key indicator. We're here to impact people's lives, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Carol, it's so refreshing to talk to somebody who really gets it. Who's an expert in the field. So let's tell people where they can find you. You have a website, right?
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, Carol Hamilton at Grace Social Sector Consulting, and that's gracesocialsector.com. You can also find me uh, if you're obviously a podcast listener um, at Mission Impact um, on any of your favorite podcast apps.
0: And we will have the link to the podcast um, on this interview page, whether you're on on um iTunes or, or Google on your phone you can see the narrative there which will have the link for her podcast and her website and i'm sure on your website you have a contact button so people can get yeah. a hold of you yeah. and um i think um, just reading what you have and and listening to your podcast there's so much to learn but having um we all we often miss think spending dollars as an expense when really something like this is an investment in the future which will then more than pay for itself over time and i can say that because i'm not the guest (laughs) so carol you're obviously uh, an expert in this field and bring a lot of a lot of value in ways we haven't even gotten to in this short interview but but what we have done is given people a snapshot of why this is important and why they need to put it front and center before you do anything else. If you're starting out, this is where you start. Or if you're rethinking, and guess guess what? The world's changed in the last couple of years. It's time to to look at it fresh and reevaluate it. Anything that we didn't highlight that you'd like to highlight before we end this really helpful podcast?
1: Yeah, I think just trying to make it a regular practice. So you know, if, if you've never, if the organization has never done one before, um, getting getting it started and, and doing a process is great. If it's something that you're doing regularly, even if, um, you know, obviously that the world has changed a lot and, and things keep changing, but sometimes you may be reconfirming your direction, but you're always having new people on the board, new staff people. So stepping back and looking at that bigger picture um, making every sure that everyone understands and, and is agreement uh, in agreement around um, a shared understanding of that vision and how we're going to get there is just a super important investment, as you talked
0: about. Absolutely. And what happens within the group is just as important as what happens on the board.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You said that in many different ways. I just wanted to capsulize that at the end here. Carol Hamilton, thank you so much for Sharing your wisdom and experience with our listeners today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you for watching the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.